right, everybody turn and look at the back to see those who are coming in late. No, no, we wouldn't want to do that. She's, you're playing entrance music? Is that what you were doing? Oh, that's, what, that's what it was. Okay. I lost my monitor. You lost your monitor, I okay. All right. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you today. Um, we're talking earlier to different folks, and boy, this just doesn't, at times it seems like fall, and at times it seems like, what's going on with the weather? But I'm so glad that the Lord keeps blessing us with rain. I'm so grateful to have a Lord that knows what we need, when we need it, gives it to us in our time of need. Um, I'm also grateful for this season of the year. Um, I wonder if, if, if we take enough time to pause and to consider how remarkable it is that Jesus Christ, who was the eternal Son of God, stepped out of heaven, took on human flesh, and became the incarnate Son of God, and the mystery that is, that He is both God and man. He's in no way separate, completely one, just like you and I are soul and, and body. It's just a remarkable thing to think about, that God Himself roamed the earth, walked the earth, just like us. And now there's someone who, who has flesh, just like ours, who sits at the right hand of the Father, has gone through everything... That we've gone through, the Bible says it this way, he's been tempted in every way, such as we are, except he's without sin. And he sits at the right hand of the Father and he intercedes for us, saying, Father, I, I, I know what it's like to have to go through this. I know what that is like. I've been near it. I've been, I've been through things like that. Jesus hurt. Um, he had joy. Uh, just on and on and on, just the mystery of the incarnation. Um, not that we want to get lost in the mystery to the point that we miss the forest for the trees. But as we look at the mystery, we see in it the glory of God raining down upon us through His Son, Jesus Christ. All right, mini-sermon. That didn't cost you anything. A few announcements. Tonight at 6.30 we have our monthly business meeting. And if you remember, it's your right, your privilege, your responsibility to be a part of these meetings, to participate. So make every effort to attend. Uh, the poinsettias, still, you, you can probably see in the bulletin, there's an insert. And if you would like to uh, donate a poinsettia uh, and give it in memory of a, a family member, friend, someone like that, those are $10. And if you have any questions about that, contact Marsha. Um, also, there was a question this morning about the Santa's helpers. Marsha, when they get their gifts, where do they need to take them? Okay. Okay. All right. If you want to leave them in here, you can. Um, do, is there any more information that you need to pass on? The only thing I was going to say is just remind people, you know, individually wrap them, bring them to the fellowship hall, attach the child information tag to all the gifts, and have them ready by tomorrow. Is there anything else we need to pass on? Okay. Okay. But all the, the, all the kids have been accounted for. Okay. Praise the Lord for that. Also, next Sunday night, <clears throat> we will have uh, some special guests with us. David and Vanessa, they're IMB missionaries that are on furlough. They're in the missionary house over in Early. The Heart of Texas Baptist Network has a missionary house. So they are there at this time, and they're going to come and share with us about their work in Central Asia. So I hope that you're able to come, because we are not going to be able to live stream or record what uh, they share with us. 
And also, it, uh, we need candle lighters for a few more times uh, for Advent. If you'd be willing to help do that, uh, make sure that you uh, just let me know. And I had a few folks ask me about our, our study that we're beginning on uh, in January. Ed Welch's book, Side by Side, Walking with Others in Wisdom and Love. Asking about where can I get that book. Uh, because they said, now, it would be beneficial if we had that book. Yes. Um, we're going to read it together. We're going to walk through it together. Uh, where can you order it? Amazon. Um, you can probably just put in Google for it and find the cheapest place. You probably, If you're a Kindle person, you could probably find that too. So, Are there any other announcements we need to make at this time? All right. Well, would you stand? I'm sorry, not, not quite yet. No, don't stand just yet. I apologize. Getting ahead of myself. We are, uh, again, in this season of Advent where uh, we are reminding ourselves of Christ's first coming uh, and being reminded also uh, that Christ is going to come again. So this morning, uh, Barbara is going to come. She's going to light the candles for us today. And as she does that, uh, just listen to, to this. God promised his people, Israel, that one day a Messiah would come to conquer their enemies and to restore them. As they looked to his coming, the prophets took encouragement from the time to come. And as we light again the candle of hope, that's the first candle of Advent, we're reminded of the hope of Christ's second coming. Lighting the candle of love, which was the second candle we lit, it tells us of Christ's never-ending love toward his people. And today, the pink candle that Barbara's lighting is the candle of joy. And as we light this, we keep in mind the joy that is ours in Christ Jesus. The joy that the people of the Old Testament had in their hearts as they looked forward to the coming Messiah. So when you see slides that say congregation on it, let's just all join in together. And there will be some where it's just me leading as, uh, as the leader. Let's together. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The writer of Hebrews tells us how joy motivated Jesus to lay down his life for us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ gave us his spirit that we might be filled with joy. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And Paul reminds us to wait for the Lord's return with joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is the true reason for hope and love and joy and peace this Advent season and forever. Let's stand and sing for joy today.
that next slide please it is that time of year when we give sacrificially to the work of God gospel work around the world um, I don't know about you but I always enjoy watching these videos I'm so used to how church works in the states and, and how we do things and how there is an openness for, for, for people you know you can talk to folks now we can see the door starting to close on us here in our countries. We become more secular. But we are far more blessed here than many other countries where it's very difficult to be a Christian. So I'm always encouraged when we watch these videos. And I also don't know about you, but it helps me to see and be glad to give sacrificially to the work of the Lord, knowing that these are the kind of people we're supporting. And so this morning, reminding us that we have a church goal of 6000 $500, praise the Lord, 1750 has already been given, and that's wonderful. And we'll be able to give through the month of December and January toward this. So if you need to hold off for a bit, that's understandable. But please pray and ask the Lord how he might have you give to this offering. So let's enjoy another video. There's so much lostness in the world there's so much the feeling of hopelessness and helplessness in the world the answer for them is Christ I was born in Malaysia in 1947 my family were idol worshippers it was my duty even though I was a boy to serve the gods and so, without fail, every evening before we have our dinner, I would put jars in front of the idols. It was a big deal because we have idols for everything. My high school teacher invited me to an evangelistic meeting. That was the first time I heard about Christ. I heard that I was a sinner, and coming from my background, I felt that Allah was pretty good, you know. And then one night, I believe it was the prompting of the Holy Spirit, a thought came to my mind, and which said to me, if this God is true, the greatest sin in my life would be to deny that. That really got hold of me. And uh, the Lord convicted me of my sin. I went to all my, the idols and I said, 
this is the last time that I'm going to serve you. I have found the true God. And that was it. <laughs> I felt called to the ministry. I studied at uh, Hong Kong Baptist Seminary, which is also started by Southern Baptists, <laughs> funded by Southern Baptists, and staffed by Southern Baptists. Had it not been for the Lordy Moon offering, my life would have turned in a totally different direction. It's a gift that keeps on giving through the lives of people that are touched through the generosity of Southern Baptists. And I'm one of them, by the grace of God. This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an express, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We have our ushers come forward at this time. Let's pray before we receive our offering, and then we'll continue in worship. Father, how grateful we are to know uh, that every good and perfect gift, as James says, comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow or change. And we are grateful that you are good in your gift-giving. You give us what we need in our time of need, in due season. Uh, we pray, God, that as we have been blessed, that we would in turn be cheerful hearts overflowing with generosity and joy and thankfulness for what you've done for us in Christ, that we may give back to the work of the gospel in this church. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.
We're going to lead you in this chorus called Jesus Your Name. Uh, it's it's easy to learn. Sing along with us. Um, this is an, uh, an excellent time to praise the name of Jesus today. If you would please take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We'll be in verses 26 to 33 this morning. Continuing in our sermon series entitled, His Name Shall Be Called. The title of this morning's message, or the subtitle is, Everlasting Father. Um, it's not that we don't, at any other time of the year, focus on Christ. Uh, but at Christmas time, Advent, our, all of our eyes are focused on Him. Uh, I hope you heard in uh, the call to worship, um, in, in all of the songs, 
Jesus, your name is holy. Joyful, joyful, we adore you. Uh, if we're, we're here to just bask in the glory and to, to lay our lives before the name above all names. We do that gladly and willingly because one day there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. On that day, all who haven't, they will. But we who see His Lordship, we see Him as a good King, an everlasting Father. We're, our knees are already bent. We're already prostrate before Him, thanking Him for what He's done for us, saying, is anything too small for us to do because of what you have done for us? All right, hopefully that gave you enough time to find Luke. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 33. This is God's Word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we take great comfort in the promises that have come true in Christ. And the things that have yet to come to fruition because of his great work on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that as we study these words today from Luke and are reminded of what... Um, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 say that we have a Christ who is everlasting Father to us. That, that we'll be so filled with hope and joy to know that we have a King who is not just a King, but He is the King. And He is our King. And we pray it in His name. Amen. Please be seated. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The son here we understand to be Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the, the God-man. It says, And His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. We learned a few weeks back that Christ is the wisdom of God. We learned that in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, Christ is the wonderful counselor promised in the scriptures. His name shall be called Mighty God. Last week we looked at Christ's power, position, and person. And, and by virtue of that we, we determined, and I think we already knew this, that Christ is the Mighty God. Now these next two names, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, they fill in some really important details about Isaiah's prophecy. And it helps us... Uh, to understand more about what he's saying about Christ. On into verse 7 it says, Of the increase of his government 
and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will do this. If it hasn't been clear up until this point, I want to make sure it's abundantly clear. In talking about everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, and of course you pick up uh, in in, in verse 6 of Isaiah uh, 9, and also here in verse 7, it speaks of a king, a kingdom, a government. So Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 is talking about a king, but not just any king. It's pointing forward to Jesus Christ. Now, you might say... Brother Shannon, verse 6 said that, that, that he's everlasting father. Is there some confusion here? Because we know in the Trinity, the triune God, one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's no confusion of the Trinity here. What Isaiah is emphasizing is that this Messiah King that is to come, he will be the kind of king that's like a father to all. He gives incredible care. So he's emphasizing the fatherly care given by Israel's king. Now I want to pose a question to us because I think it's, it's helpful for us in a number of ways. I want to pose this question. Why a king? Why a king? Why does God promise a king? So to qualify that, is God speaking simply contextually? Now what I mean by that is, is he speaking in a way, you know, because... God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Is God just condescending? Is He just coming down to our level and and speaking in a way that people can understand in Isaiah's day and time? And I want to say that the answer to that is is both yes and no. Now, we remember July 4, 1776, when we said no more kings. No taxation without representation. But in Isaiah's day... Kings were common. And so, yes, there is a connection point in talking about this Messiah as king. The king, unlike our day, was the supreme ruler. And his will was absolutely done in the kingdom. The government rested upon his shoulders. He had judicial, legislative, and executive powers. He could judge. He could make laws. He could enforce the law. He appointed governors and ambassadors to represent him. And he commanded the forces, the armed forces, the military forces of his day. Now Israel had kings and they functioned in the same capacity. So obviously why talk about a king is God speaking in a way that's kind of contextualizing it for the people of Isaiah's day? Yes, in one way, but also no. No in this regard. God is saying something about himself. He's not just coming down to the level of the people to whom he's talking. He is saying something about himself. He's saying he's the ruler of mankind. He's saying specifically about this promised Messiah that when he comes, he won't be like a king. He won't just be a king. He will be the king. He will be the king of Israel. He will be the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the supreme ruler of all things. His will will be done in His kingdom. The government will rest upon His shoulder. He will judge. He will make laws. He will enforce the laws. He will appoint people to represent Him. And He will command an army. You've heard me use the word Messiah. Uh, That word Messiah 
comes from a Hebrew word. In the New Testament, it's the word Christ. Messiah and Christ. They talk about the same person. It's the person that the, uh, that the Israelites would have understood as the anointed one. The promised king in the Old Testament. The prophets and priests and kings were anointed for service. And so he's saying here that, that the Messiah that's to come is Jesus. The anointed one. The king. The promised king. So God is saying... Why, why a king? He's saying something in a way that people can understand, but he's also saying something about himself. I'm sending a king who's, who, who he is the God-man. And he's going to rule in the same way that, you know, if God the Father were on the th- he would rule in the same way. And he's the promised one. He's the one that the people are looking forward to. Now, I mentioned just a minute ago <clears throat> that Israel had kings, and, and that's true. Uh, during the time of the judges, uh, Israel began to ask uh, for a king, or after the time of judges. Prior to that, God was their king. Now, you can find this in a number of places, but particularly, there was a point when, when the people of Israel tried to make Gideon their king, and he said, no, God is your king. He wouldn't let them do it. After the time of judges, the people of Israel wanted to be the, like the nations, And have a king. And they went to Samuel and said, We want to have a king like everyone else. And and Samuel said, You already have a king. It's God. And God told Samuel, He said, You go ahead. You grant their request. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. So God gave to them Saul. And we know that Saul was a Terrible king. He did some good things, but by and large, he was a terrible king. Then came along David and the whole line of David. In this line, of course, David is the, is the, is the king that, that points forward to Christ and that he brings peace and prosperity and he leads well with wisdom. God at one point told David, because David had this bright idea, God, I'm going to build you a house. Look at the house I live in, and you live in that tabernacle out there. I'm going to build you a house. And God said, no, you're not. I'm going to build you a house. He wasn't talking about a building. He was talking about descendants. And he made a covenant with David. And he said, there's never going to be a time when there's not someone sitting on the Davidic throne. And then Solomon came along. Now, it was promised that the Messiah would come from this line. We saw that in this morning's text. He will, he will uh, let me find it. And he will reign over the house of Jacob, for, I'm sorry, verse 32. He will uh, give to him the throne of his father, David. And so there's promising things happening at this point in Israel's history. But then... They divide. Solomon began to marry a bunch of wives and his heart was divided. And they brought idols into Israel and God will not share his glory with another. And the kingdom was divided between Israel and Judah. And then before long, the Israelites were ruled by pagan kings because they were sent off into exile by God. But there was a remnant that would return to Israel, but they would still be under pagan kings. They were under the influence of of Greek uh, emperors and and Roman Caesars. 
but they look forward to the day when the Messiah would come, the promised one. So when you put Isaiah 9 and Luke chapter 1 together, you begin to see, I think Luke is telling us that Jesus is the Messiah. And so I want to ask and answer that question. Is Jesus the Messiah? Well, let's turn first to prophecy. In Genesis 3.15, there's a promise. And this is a promise to the serpent when God is cursing him for causing the fall. He says, there's going to be one that's born of woman who will come, and, and I'm paraphrasing, he will conquer you. But in verse 31 here it says, Behold, this is the angel talking to Mary, Behold, you will conceive in your womb. Now you might think that's, of course, she will. That's saying that, that this Christ is not just going to hop down out of heaven and, and, and be this um, ghost. It's going to be, this Christ will be human. He will also be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7, 14. There is a promise that the virgin will conceive and give birth. And his name will be called Emmanuel. And you see in verse 27. To a virgin betrothed to a man named Joseph. And then look down in verse 34. I didn't read it. But after the angel tells Mary what is about to happen to her. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? The Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Micah 5.2 promises that though Bethlehem was small in the eyes of everyone else, that would be where the Messiah would be born. The Messiah was also promised to be a descendant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go back and look. A few years back, I, I, I preached a sermon on Matthew, Matthew's genealogies. And you might think, how boring. But there's so much promise there. You find that Jesus is the son of Abraham. He's the son of Isaac. He's the son of Jacob. But you also, not even there, you go over to Luke chapter 3 and you discover the same thing. The Messiah was also to be a descendant of David. Again, look at the genealogies. You discover that's who Christ is. And in verse 32, it says, He will be great, will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. So all along we see Christ is fulfilling these prophecies, but that's not all. We get to Malachi 3.1 and and Malachi 4, 5, and 6. It promises about the ministry of John the Baptist, that there will be a forerunner, one who will come before the great day of the Lord. and He will come in the spirit of Elijah, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. And that's who John the Baptist was. The Messiah was prophesied to be the God-man. And notice, when we look at Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, it talks about who the Messiah will be in such a way that we have to arrive at the conclusion that this Messiah is not some mere human. He is mighty God. Notice in verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That's talking about God. So is Jesus the Messiah? Well, according to prophecy, He is. But consider, and you know this. I'm not about to tell you something new. But consider how Jesus was received when He came to the world. The shepherds, they saw these angels. And their response was to go to Bethlehem. 
to see if it was true what these angels had said. And they found Jesus there and they were filled with joy. The wise men, they see his star in the east and they say, where is, they go to Herod, the king of the Jews, and they say, where is he who's born king of the Jews? And Herod's like, I didn't know, I thought I was the king of the Jews. But the wise men, when they show up, they bring him gifts and they are filled with joy that they have seen this king. The disciples, they received, and I'm talking about the twelve, they received Jesus with joy. You think about uh, when, when uh, Nathaniel uh, finally met Christ, Christ prophesied to him. You know, he said, I saw you when you were under the fig tree and, and you're a person in whom there is no guile. And Nathaniel said, Master, you are the king of Israel. And the disciples uh, even more believed he was the Messiah, received him. People tried to make Jesus king. You look at John chapter 6. After Jesus had fed the multitudes. And the people were, said they were following Jesus because they, they liked the gravy train. And then Jesus began to, to say important and hard things about himself. And, and, and even still in the midst of all of that. They tried to make him king. Because he was their gravy train. Pilate. When Christ appeared before Pilate, he asked him, Are you a king? Jesus never denied it. He said, My kingdom's not of this world. So Pilate even had, uh, before, when, when he brought Christ before the people, saying, Who do you want? Do you want this robber Barabbas, or do you want your king? We have no king but Caesar. Then what shall I do with your king? Pilate understood that he was there. He even put a sign on the cross of Christ. Is Jesus the Messiah? John says, to all who received him, he gave the power to become children of God. But Jesus wasn't always received positively. I don't think people understood who he was, or maybe they did. But Herod, his reception was, if there's another king, I've got to kill him. And it records in Matthew the slaughter of all these innocent babies. Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah says, in talking about Christ, he had no stately form or majesty that we should see that he's lovely. He was despised and rejected. John chapter 1. A couple of times it says, he came into the world and the world didn't receive him. Then it says he came to his own people. and he's Talking about Israel. And his own people didn't receive him. How many times in the Gospels do we discover that Christ Jesus walking in front of people and and they're unable to see who He is and and hear the truth in His messages? How when Jesus begins to say hard things, people like in John chapter 6, John John 6.66 says that many disciples turned away from following Him. He was talking, uh, telling some hard truths. When he was cruci- and he was also crucified. You're a king. If you were really a king, you would come down from that cross. But since you haven't, you're really not a king. And I don't know if you remember a few years ago when I preached through Mark. And we got toward the end of Mark. And it was uh, Jesus being brought through the streets. and Brought before um, uh, Pilate and uh, 
the crown put on his crown of thorns put on his head and a robe. And, and I told you about how it resembled kind of the, 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 the crowning of a new king. Of course, it ended up with Jesus at the cross, sign that said the king of the Jews, a crown upon his head. But what Mark was trying to say is that Jesus is the king. But no one understood it. But yet when Christ died, he was vindicated in all of his claims to be the Messiah because he was resurrected and ascended. So I know in my heart, and I believe most of you, if not all of you, if I were to ask you, is Jesus the Messiah? You would say yes. He's the one who fulfills prophecy. He is the God-man. He died on the cross for our sins. No, he didn't come to throw off Israel's enemies and to set up a kingdom on earth. His kingdom is coming. But that was not his point in his first coming. His first coming was so that he could kill the enemy of all of us, and that is sin. And he did so on the cross. He was vindicated in his resurrection and ascension. So that brings us, I think, to another question that's worth answering. How is Jesus the everlasting Father? If He is the Messiah, and He is, then how is He right now the everlasting Father? Well, first of all, Isaiah 9, 6 is talking about a king. Jesus must be a king. Notice verse 32. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to Him the throne of His father David. So He has the position of king. Verse 33, and he will reign. He has the power of a king. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He has a people in his kingdom. Israel. Now he says Jacob, it's referring to Israel. So so he meets the first qualification, he is king, but what about everlasting? Keep reading in verse 33. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. So not only does he have the position of king, the power of king, and, and a people as king, he has permanence. Why? Because he is the God-man. Look at verse 32 again. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. He has permanence as everlasting Father because He lives forever. And He is Father. Now you may not have thought of this before. J.C. Ryle, you may have never heard of J.C. Ryle, but in commenting on um, everlasting Father, he said this, Christ is a Father because Christ has children. I think about this. I, I think you'll see how this lines up. We've been purchased by his blood, and a key term that Jimmy Carter made famous in, in the 70s, and that Jesus impressed upon Nicodemus is you must be born again. And Christ has a people who by virtue of his sacrifice and the and the giving of the Holy Spirit have been birthed. He has a progeny. But then, as Father, as the caring, loving King that He is, He's given us provision. He's given us the gift of His Holy Spirit. We have His Word. Oh, 
What a gift to have the Word of God in your hands. He's given us the armor of God. He's given us protection. He fights for us. You know, kings were supposed to fight for their people and protect them against their enemies. Christ does that for us. And kings were to preserve their people. We've been told in the book of John, Jesus says, Those whom the Father has given to me, none will be snatched out of my hand. He will preserve us to the end. He is the King. He is everlasting and He is the Father. So Jesus is the Messiah, the everlasting Father. That settles everything, doesn't it? Because Jesus is reigning now, right? Well, yes, Jesus is reigning right now. He is the everlasting Father right now. Some people would say that Jesus is not a very good king. Just look at the world. Jesus, just grab your iPhone, pull up the latest news feed, turn on your television. This world is a mess. And you're telling me that Jesus, the, the everlasting Father, is reigning right now. Yes. Understand this. If Jesus took his hand off creation for one one thousandth of a second, it would fall to pieces. He is reigning right now. If Jesus did not restrain evil in this world, this place would be hell on earth. No, Jesus is reigning over the world just as his Father is, as its sovereign. And Jesus is reigning over us, his church as its head. Just like a king will give to his people laws and ordinances, we we have this. Laws and ordinances that govern us. Just as a king would, would provide officers for his kingdom to make sure his work is done, God, through Christ, has provided to the church Elders, deacons, uh, uh, pastors. There are also people that are ambassadors for the kingdom. That is you and I. Remember in in, uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that we are ambassadors pleading with the world to be reconciled to God. No, Jesus is king. And, and I could go on any number of things other than those three. But my aim is to say, yes, Jesus right now is reigning. Yet, His full and final reign is future. That's why the world looks the way that it does. But, but make no mistake, He will return as King. And his, He will establish His kingdom on earth and it will have no end. So I need to ask one final question. And it's pointed at us. Is Jesus only reigning over you? Or is Jesus also reigning in you? Is Jesus only reigning over you? Or is Jesus also reigning in you? If he is simply reigning over you as sovereign of this world... Again, we're in the season of Advent. We look forward to His coming again. When Christ comes again the second time, if He is only reigning over you, then your future is very 
bleak. Because he will come as judge. He will put all things right in this world. Evil will be eradicated. Those who have not bowed the knee to Christ, they will bow. But it's not because they wanted to, it's because they had to. And then they will be judged and they will be condemned to an eternity separated from the love of God, experiencing only His wrath for all eternity. So if Jesus is only reigning over you, judgment awaits unless you bow the knee to Him now. Unless you recognize He is the Messiah. He does have say-so. He can say, that is sin. You are a sinner. But I have laid down my life for you. And now I am risen, ascended, ready to receive all of those who come to me by faith. I will put your sins behind me and I will remember them no more. But if you fail to do that, if Christ only reigns over you, then judgment awaits. But if Christ reigns over you and is reigning in you, then we have so much to look forward to. Have you stopped to think about the future reign of Christ? Just the perfection that will be in that place. The glory of of Christ. Nothing between us and Him that would cause us to, to fail to see Him in the fullness of His glory. What a day that will be. So... For us as Christians, we have so much to look forward to, so much to be joyful over. Not only is Jesus reigning over us, He's reigning in us. But I want to give one final caution. And I can't fail to do this. I must. You know as well as I do, so many people say, Yes, Jesus is not only reigning over me, He's reigning in me. I want you to know that Jesus' reign on this earth may be invisible to us, but His reign in our lives is not. It's not. When Christ is reigning in you, when you bow your knee to Him as Lord, you are different. His laws... His ordinances, they are written upon your heart. You begin to do them as a testimony to the fact that not only is Christ reigning over you, He's reigning in you. You're different. And if your claim today is, yes, Christ is not only reigning over me, He's reigning in me, and it does not look like Jesus is reigning over you, it might be time to get along with the Lord in Scripture and say, Lord, am I mistaken? Do I just have this notion in my mind that that yes, you reign in me, but yet I look at my life and it's so far removed from your laws, your ordinances. It looks more like I'm king than you're king. Today is a day when you could say, Lord, I I want to rebuke that. I want to, to put that behind me. And I want to bow my knee to you again. He is everlasting Father. 
Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. For all that you have given us in him. We thank you that he is the God-man. Therefore, he's everlasting. Thank you that he has provided for us what we need to be cared for in the right way. Such good news to know that there is a king who cares. He's the king. And he's, he's made provision. He calls. Come to my feast. Lord, if there are any here that don't know Christ as Savior and Lord today, I pray that their hearts would be changed, that they would repent of their sins, put their faith and trust in Christ and be saved. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing the song, Open Our Eyes. We want to see Jesus. I said at the beginning um, of the serve the sermon, uh, you know that we are again the song. We want to see Jesus. Um, you know, we don't want to be. My prayer for us is that we would want our eyes opened. That when we come here, we wouldn't be that Jesus wouldn't be the elephant in the room that no one sees, and that He would be the focus and the center of our attention, and that and that we would with overflowing hearts looking upon him, say, Jesus, we love you. Uh, a few updates <clears throat> to pass along to you before we're dismissed. Um, so Addie, I think, was not able to get her, Addie Webster was not able to have her latest treatment, is what I understood, because her counts were too low. It was good to see Judge this weekend. Judge is, uh, is doing well and having, having some good days. Um, Alicia Morales, that's Pam Garcia's mom. Um, she does have cancer, and so she's got some chemo coming. Um, Bert Holland. Does anyone know an update on Bert? That's Colt's grandfather. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Chris Casera is on our list. That's Mindy's father, um, and he has cancer in his lung. Um, they're not doing chemo. They're doing another sort of treatment. At this time, um, <clears throat> any other updates you might know of? Anyone? Or any new additions we need to put on the list? All right. Well, let's stand and we'll have a word of prayer.
then we will say the Great Commission together and we'll be dismissed. Um, I'm not going to stand at the back. I'm feeling a little under the weather. So I'm just going to wave at you all and say have a great Sunday. Uh, but let's pray together. Lord Jesus, uh, we are um, so awed uh, that you would lay down your life for us. Um, that you are all of these things that the Word says you are and more. And our minds are so small uh, to take all of this in. Uh, one day we will rejoice in being able to sit at your feet and just bask in all that you are. Lord, as everlasting Father, we come to you on behalf of these people that have been mentioned. Uh, we know that you are the giver of all good gifts and that you are almighty, that you know all things, that you know what these people need and that you are perfect in your timing. So we ask, God, that you would give them uh, healing, give them hope, give them comfort. Uh, Lord, for those that are combating cancer, which it seemed like everybody I just mentioned, they're combating cancer, help them to know that you're the God who created their bodies and that on that account you can bring healing. We sang, Jesus, your name is healing, and we do believe that. So we ask in the name of Jesus that you would heal these people of their cancer. Uh, we're thankful that Judge has been able to have more good days than bad days and that he is able to spend time with family. Lord, for all of those on our list, even those we didn't mention, we pray that you would bless each one. And for any that don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, please work in their hearts that they might come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord. Lord, bless the rest of our day and thank you for the privilege of worshiping you this day. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's say the Great Commission together. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end 